are go on talk episode 38 where myself jake from new york and daniel Prof from calgary bring you stock talk we are at off day today with the, which is a thursday normally we go live on the weekends and we love talking to you about stocks news earnings reports that come out we are long-term fundamental based investors and also the two co-founders of stock unlock so ralph great to see you great to see everyone in the chat daniel how's it going it was canada day i think earlier this week yes it was uh it's going good ready for some stock talk yeah we're doing it on thursday this week because i'm gone like i leave tomorrow i'm going to a wedding in saskatchewan for the weekend so yeah i'm not going to be here fun stuff it was july 4th so when i ended the last stream i failed to remember it was canada day and i was reminded but it seems like very similar to july 4th. it is very similar Awesome. I, I'm actually going to try to bring you up. So there was a tweet about Airbnb that a lot of people were talking about. We didn't get a chance to talk about last stream, but it came up a lot in our Discord. Yeah. Yeah. People were sharing around this tweet from uh, Airbnb or not from Airbnb, but it's in regards to Airbnb. And everyone let us know in the chat if you have any questions for us or you want our opinion on some stocks or something like that. Let us know. Cool. So as people who watch uh, our show know, I am pretty bullish on Airbnb. I am also a shareholder. Daniel, you do not feel similarly. I wouldn't categorize you as a complete bear, but you definitely have been more skeptical, which I'd say is in line with a lot of other opinions we see here. So it might be more fair for you to take a stab at this before very bullish me kind of gives my reasoning around this, which uh, I'll bite my tongue. Okay, well, I have not done any research on this post, by the way. I literally have read it once, so let's read it again. The Airbnb collapse is real. Ooh, scary. Dun, dun, dun. Revenues are down nearly 50% in cities like Phoenix and Austin. Watch out for a wave of forced selling from Airbnb owners this year in areas hit hardest by the revenue collapse. A lot of, uh, lot of uh, fear in there. You can tell what the objective is. It is definitely framed in a very particular way. For those who are on audio only, there is a graphic here that flew around the internet. It is a table that shows uh, 15 cities that people sell Airbnbs in. And I'm not going to run through every number here. Definitely pop open the video to see the graphic. But what it is demonstrating is there is a 47% to 34%, which is the range uh, drop in the revenue per available listing. This is measuring from May 2022 to 2023. So they're using a third-party data source. They are looking at, as we just said, average revenue per available listing, and they sorted from worst to best, and then are showing the bottom 15 cities. So just in terms of looking at data, if you're not going to look at the bigger picture, it looks bad. There's lots of red on it. And as you said, Daniel, the Airbnb collapse is real. Dude, they're done. Company's done. It's a short it. So I appreciate you being upfront about how much you read into this. Uh, what you are doing, which a lot of other people did not do on the internet, was is recognize how little you looked into this, which I appreciate. So if you keep on looking here, the next tweet in this thread, for those of you who aren't available with Twitter, you can chain your text segments that you put out. So it's kind of like a page-by-page -page story. So the next page of this Twitter story 
shows another pretty scary looking graph uh, that is actually more so talking about the Airbnb inventory versus homes for sale. And they're showing a clear relationship that as the number of Airbnbs and verbos go up, the number of houses listed go down. One thing that I found interesting here is a lot of people read this, Daniel, and there's more to this thread. We're not going to walk through the entire thing. Recommend everyone checking it out. I actually don't think this thread was about Airbnb stock going down. And I also won't say that that's not like a reasonable conclusion to get from here, but I think the main purpose of this post, once you read the whole thing, was more so to tie in Airbnb to a upcoming housing collapse. There's been a lot of chirping in the industry that housing prices are going down. There's lots of issues with availability and Airbnb and Verbo are starting to become in my opinion, scapegoats of what are larger house building accessibility issues. But that is what the post was mostly about to me. They were making a point that a lot of Airbnb owners would be forced to sell because they bought during the housing boom, they have bad mortgages. And since the revenue per listing is going down, this post is forecasting that all of these people who are renters on Airbnb or Verbo will start losing money, not actually have a positive cash returning asset and therefore be forced to sell it. The final point on that is that this selling will happen in a wall and cause a huge oversupply in the housing. I think that's fair. I think you're right. So, I think based on those two next charts I saw, that's what they were trying to say was that this is not like Airbnb stock is going down. Airbnb stock is going to collapse. It's that people are going to have to sell their Airbnbs and then all that is going to hit them the housing market and maybe increase inventory in the housing market, which would hopefully lower prices. Hopefully is right for the people who are looking to buy for sure. I'm a homeowner and I want prices to come down. <laughs> okay, interesting. I don't hear a lot of homeowners saying that. What is your rationale behind that? Well, my rationale is, at least in Canada, I think it would be healthy for some sort of real estate correction. And then also my plan for my future is whenever I buy a house, so this house I, I own today, is whenever I move, I want to keep this house, rent it out, and buy a new one. And then when we live there, save up for another down payment, keep that house, rent it out, buy a new one. So I don't ever really want to sell my houses. So I'm always, I, I plan on being a buyer, like every five years, hopefully. Are you going to rent that out on Airbnb, man? Whatever works better. You're making it easier and easier to rent your home. <laughs> Anyway, I, that that would be great. That would turn your house from a liability to an asset. Yeah. But I agree with you. I agree with you on that Airbnb post. Yeah. And what happens? Yeah. I, I know we don't want to beat this with a stick and we won't. I'd say the major points and talking points I see coming out of this, and we'll see if anyone in the chat wants to take it farther or we'll move on to the next topic. I do think there's a real conversation to be had about what Airbnb does to communities, I think that there are room for legislations where if people are in more of like a school district slash like residential neighborhood, that you might want to have zoning laws restricting how many Airbnbs can come to that area. Another conversation topic here is me so me more so just talking about the stock performance. So like something that people get so confused with is like, this could very well be true. And they're measuring from the top, they're cherry picking data. We all know there was a COVID surge. People have been following our content on Airbnb. They're also taking like the worst possible cities. So they are cherry picking data a lot, in my opinion. But 
you have to think, how does this translate to Airbnb's business? Airbnb is actually trying to get more supply on. They want to drive down the cost for their consumers so that consumers pay less. And if you look at Airbnb's financial statements and their gross booking value and the number of nights booked, I don't have the segment city by city like they're showing here, but overall it's up across the board. So the measurement they're taking here, I think is a really good argument to try to say, hey, we might have a lot of people selling Airbnbs on the market. However, I don't think that that translates to less revenue or a poor performance for Airbnb's business and stock. If anything, this is more a continuation of a trend that I believe in where Airbnb isn't just a business, it's a verb, it's an entire economy. And the fact that this is even an issue that we have the privilege of talking about because of how big this business is, to me, actually farther illustrates my bold thesis that this is here to stay. And sure, when you look city by city, you'll find some that aren't doing well, but overall and globally, since it's an international business, I don't see these revenue changes per listing going down. I think investors should more so look at how many nights are being booked, the number of people on the app. And I believe that's a better metric to try to forecast the success of the stock. I guess that's kind of it. I, I'll cut myself off there. Daniel, what do we got in the chat here? Should we close this conversation off or any full points being brought up? Um, I'm not seeing any, any real questions about Airbnb in the chat. Someone just asked, does Airbnb have a moat? That's a great question. Daniel, what do you think? I don't know. I think it is very subjective. I believe Airbnb's moat is in their marketplace. I think it is incredibly hard to create a marketplace. You need network effects. I know Verbo also exists, but network effects compound on themselves. So I believe that their moat is in their marketplace, the east to list the place. I don't think that there's any place as easy as Airbnb and they're making it even easier to host a house there if they have things like air coverage and insurance products that are getting pretty unique. So people who are listing on Airbnb have a lot of protection there. So we've seen a lot of marketplaces endure. Craigslist is still around. eBay is still around. Like it is because network effects and communities. So people may disagree with me on that. And I think that's very valid. I'm open-minded enough to understand that I could be wrong on that, but that is my take on what their moat is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's Jake's opinion on all of the recent Airbnb bearish stuff. There you go. We have a comment from Stock Auto here. Definitely a friend of the show. Stock Auto has been on an episode of Stock Talk. I'm forgetting which number it was, but definitely recommend checking out his channel. He is a trusted friend of Stock and Lock. If Airbnb can cut the marketing cost by 90% in 2021 and still do well, it shows that they have a moat. Yes, this business was almost killed. <laughs> People need this product. I guess we'll see if other competitors can replicate what they've done. Well, we haven't seen it today. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay, we have a lot of questions coming in now about just random stocks. Are you ready to move on, Jake? Let's go. I love talking about stocks. I don't know about you. We lose ourselves in talking about stocks, and I feel right. that the audience here also loves stocks. All right, so Stock Auto, usually when Stock Auto gives us a recommendation, it's pretty interesting. So I'm inclined to take another look at this new one we got here. So cool. we're going to take a look at shoals it looks like let's do it this is a new stock for me curious curious what they do thank you for this suggestion stock on it so i'm going to guess it's shoals technology group is this a correct ticker i'll let you know in the chat uh but yeah stock auto let us know if we're looking at the right ticker here just do it all right um ipo'd in 2021 looks like it's down from its ipo it's still down well it was down massively 75 percent 
It's still down roughly 40% from its um, high here in 2021. $4 billion company. Insight score is four. Not bad. Looks like revenue is growing. So yeah, revenue looks like it's still growing. Okay, this company provides electrical balance of system solutions for solar energy projects. The company is headquartered in Portland, Tennessee, and currently employs 835 people. Designs, manufactures, sells system solutions for two types of wiring architectures used by the United States solar industry. So I would imagine then if the solar industry is going to grow and the governments are going to invest in the solar industry, then this company should benefit from that, it sounds like. So what was that market cap? That was a little hard to see on the screen. Uh, four billion. So it's a smaller market cap. Okay, we're so okay. We're going to go then. Okay, financial health three current ratios fine. Shares have increased by thirty one percent over the past year. So maybe they did an acquisition, but financial health looks decent. Growth is a perfect five. Revenue fifty four percent. Gross profit everything is growing very very quickly. It looks like. Free cash flow grew by 500%. Profitability is also good. Free cash flow margin 20%. Not bad. Honestly, not bad. Management score is on the lower end. Looks like there is quite a bit of stock-based compensation going on. And then the stock does not have a very high free cash flow yield at the moment. Interesting. And a little bit from Stock Auto here. For some context, Shoal's market share increased from 7% in 2017 to 37% in 2021. Not sure where that data is coming from, but just taking at face value, seems like they are gaining a lot of market share in their industry. So I'd be curious to look at their competitors here as well. Yeah, so it looks like their cash flow is growing like quite significantly. It grew from a low base, to be fair. It was $3.3 million in uh, the second quarter of 2022. Now it's at 75. So that's a huge percent increase. But again, you're growing from a very small base. Their CapEx is quite low, though. And CapEx has actually been, looks like kind of coming, well, it's been it's been consistently around $4 million. So they're not really having to increase CapEx much to grow operating cash flow, which is nice, which also means that there is free cash flow. And it's $70 million, not bad. You said they were a $4 billion market cap, right? Yes. Interesting. Looks like they did raise money through dilution at some point yes so it does look like they did raise money um but they're also generating money so that's interesting not really sure what's going on there um yeah i mean it looks like it's growing quick it looks like it's profitable i would want to see well let's take a look at the insider ownership rid of that so lots of cells apparently a 600 million dollar cell right here wow that is a wall of red holy crap there was a buy last year but lots of selling lots and lots of selling so i mean it's it's growing quick but i don't necessarily love its current price i mean price to free cash flow is 58 free cash flow yield of 1.7 which basically means if this company doubled its free cash flow, it would be a yield of 3.4 and a price free cash flow of about 24. And um, 
I mean, it is growing, but that's still like, that's, that's still the price I'm not too excited about currently. So I'd, I would want to do more research. I'd really want to be sold on the company's future growth and if they can continue that growth because you're paying for it right now. So if you're already paying for it, then it's got to come basically and you have to be confident in that future growth. But it does look interesting. It's growing quick. Yeah, that, this is one of those industries where I feel timid approaching it just because I am not an expert in the solar industry. I don't really understand the technology behind these things and how disruptable they are. Uh, another tidbit from Stock Auto here on the stock is about their margin. So profit margin of 40% is amongst the best of returns of the industry. So this is more data Stock Auto is giving us just saying not only are they building market share, but they have better profitability than their peers. Yeah, the price I agree, Daniel, seems a little bit high to me. I just get a little bit timid on these stocks because it is very hard for me to understand the industry. So if I if I personally can't explain it to a five-year-old, I try to stay away from it. Knowing Stock Auto, though, and he shared his investment philosophy on our stream, he tries to identify stocks that are about to boom and grow before other people kind of catch on. So he doesn't really mind paying higher multiples because he will see them get grown into very quickly. If this does end up being a key staple point in the solar industry, it grows and no other competitors come and take back market share. Like, this could be a winner, right? They continue to compound their growth rate of cash flow throughout the next five years that they have been the past year. Like that's incredible. But yeah, until I could prove that to myself, I personally would stay on the sidelines for this one. How are you feeling? Yeah, I would agree with that. Gaining market share and a profit margin above competitors does are signs of a moat though. So it probably, I'm not going to say it probably does have a moat, but those are indicators of a moat. So it's definitely worth looking into. Awesome. Yeah, if you stock out, if you have a video on this stock, feel free to drop it. He said the founder sold their entire stake and started a new company, so that might explain some of the selling there. Yeah, thank you for thank you for that one. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I think we talked about CVS before. We got a question here about Rexer. So I did a live stream where I talked about Actually, I screened all of the REITs in Stock Unlock, and then we went through them live in a live stream, um, basically trying to find the best REITs. And Rexer was actually like pretty close to the top of that list. I think Rexer is probably one of the best REITs out there, and it's been performing like incredibly well. I don't. My one hesitation which you're going to notice if you watch the streams and my channel and everything is like, I find a lot of stocks very expensive. Like I try to really buy with a margin of safety. So price is one of the things where I'm a very huge stickler on. And that's just me. It's probably not going to change. So when I saw Rexer initially, when I analyzed it, I thought it was an expensive stock and I was waiting for the price to kind of come down. So let's see if it did. Love that insight score. What, what type of REIT is this? It's an industrial one. I missed that. Cool. So let's take a look for REITs. I like to take a look at the price to operating cash flow. It's still around 30. Um, it did look like it got down to about 27. It is below its historical averages, but I mean, I still think that's, I still think it's on the expensive end. <laughs> so I'm not too, too interested in it quite, quite yet. Yeah. I mean, that is its average though. So it can we actually pull up the operating cash flow base metric in this graph as well? Like, I'm curious if that's been growing. 
people who watch the stream a lot is are probably going to predict what I'm about to say. Yes, it's high, but what is the yield on cost? So, yeah, th yeah, this is where I feel like I differ a bit. Like I, we're almost alive here, Daniel, but I feel like I get a little bit less nervous about higher price ratios when seeing a lot of historic growth. So, sure, 30s high, but it's been the right price to pay historically since it seems that they continue to grow the operating cash flow and then the operating cash flow yield on cost then looks pretty good relative to the cost you paid for the stock in the past assuming you held it long yep you're right i don't know if we have the operating cash flow yield on cost we should i don't think we have i know that we have free cash flow yield on cost i should probably add that one in yeah, so this is another thing you got to consider about REITs, though, is they dilute a lot usually to fund growth. So you can see that this business, for example, since 2013 over the past decade has diluted on average at 24% per year. That's a lot of dilution, right? So yes, you have your net operating cash flow growth over that time is 50%. But if you look at operating cash flow per share, it's... 30% lower at 20, 21%. So I love this tool. I know. <laughs> I feel like we complete each other's sentences where I was about to be like, oh, oh, like do the per share cost now. But yeah, like if you zoom into about 2014, it's even more dramatic at 13 versus 42. So this is probably what I would prefer to look at. And I mean, if they can continue compounding at 13% annually every year on a per share basis, and you're paying a 30 price ratio for that, it's probably going to work out fine over the long term. Well, it actually will. But it's just one of those things where I'd be like, I just really want to be sold that they're going to be able to continue doing this. Because if they don't, and you're paying for future growth and it doesn't come, then, you know, you're, you, there's just a little margin of safety there. Yeah. I, I really love that visualization, though, because it really puts things into context that the share count matters for a business. So obviously, like everything could look good, right? But if you're 2x in your operating cash flow every uh, quarter, let's say, which would be crazy, but you're like 3x in your share count, right? Like the shareholders not getting returns for that, even though it looks like the business is executing well, because you're owning less and less of the pie as time goes on. So it it kind of sounds simple when it's explained like this, but these are things I find a lot of investors, especially newer investors, kind of glossing over. Like you find a few metrics that look good. And then there's like that one thing lurking underneath where if you viewed it through that lens, it would kind of change the perspective. So, yeah. Are there any industrial REITs you like better than this stock? I can't answer that right now. I haven't looked. I do own one, which is Dream Industrial. I was going to say, someone asked about that. That's the stock that ratered and is at like an 11 or 12 dividend yield, if I'm no. remembering correctly. No. What's the TNT one? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that one. This okay. one is not sorry. Yeah, this is a industrial REIT. This one is paying a dividend around five percent. Its price to FFO is much more reasonable, in my opinion, at fifteen. And yeah, this one is in Canada. I think that is. I don't think this is going to be like a massive winner, but I think that it's a decent stock, decent company, at a fair price. I think it's a fair, a decent company at a fair price. That's how I would summarize that one. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, very quick plug. If you are new to the stream and just joining, hello to the 72 people with us right now. You're watching Stock Talk, and we go live every week, and we talk about stocks. Pop in the chat, say hi. Uh, leave a thumbs up if you are enjoying it, and thank you for hanging out with us. 
Daniel, are you seeing any comments here that catch your eye? Um, I'm just still reading through. Um, Ralph says, using the stock analog screener, I found ES EPSN, not ESPN. <laughs> I do ESN. that all the time. All right. I'm going to take a look at this one, too. I think I actually took a look at this one historically, but let me EPSN. Okay. EPSN. Epsilon Energy. Okay, so it's an energy company. Very high insight score, though. 4.78. That is beautiful. That is very nice. Grown revenue at 67%. Also has more cash than liabilities, meaning it can use its current cash position to be completely debt-free if it wanted to, of course. I don't think I've ever seen a pie chart for insights that are, is that dark green. Yeah, so financial health is a perfect 5 out of 5. Current ratio is almost 10. It's debt-free. Shares have been decreasing. It's buying back shares. And it has more cash than total liabilities. So the balance sheet is pristine. There is no real financial risk with this business at all, it looks like. Growth is also perfect 5. Revenue has grown at 67%. You guys can all see these metrics. Those are very beautiful metrics. Everything is growing very well. Profitability is 5. Margins are insane. 40% free cash flow margin. And management looks very good. Wow. Uh, Stock-based compensation as a percent of free cash flow is only 3%. So the management is not diluting shareholders massively with stock-based compensation. Very good to see. ROIC is good. ROCE is good. And the valuation even looks good. Um, Price-free cash flows below averages, everything. Honestly, that looks pretty dang good. So it's an energy company. Are they an oil producer? Natural gas and oil reserves. Located in Texas. Okay. I also love that this was found through our screener. So one of the biggest questions we had on Stock Unlock, which is the software that we're using is, oh, cool, I love your insight score, but what are the highest rated stocks? Or can I screen for stocks that have a five growth, five profitability? We can do that. So Ralph, thank you for highlighting that you did find this through our screener. It's just another tool on the site for those who aren't aware. And hello to everyone in the chat. Hello, New Jersey. Okay. Hello, Beatrice. Good to see you again. Back to you, Daniel. Okay, so... On Stock Unlock, for some stocks, if they're buying back shares, we actually report that as a buyback. So it looks like the company is actively buying back shares. Then we also have the CEO buying here, uh, CEO buying more, CEO, this was a grant, it looks like. But the company's buying back a lot of shares, like almost every day, it looks like. Let's take a look at the ownership. So the CEO owns, weird, two CEOs, it looks like, but uh, they own... Not that much, honestly, only like 1%. Well, let's take a deeper look at these financials. What is going on here? So on a trailing 12-month basis, the revenue is up quite substantially year over year. However, if you take a look at a quarterly basis, the revenue has actually been coming down a lot. So they had a massive quarter here where they did $33.5 million in revenue the second quarter of last year. Now it's come down a lot. And actually, Q1 versus Q1 revenue looks like it is declined. So this is my this is my personal beef with energy stocks is their revenues and everything are so reliant on the price, this one especially, the price of natural gas, which I believe has collapsed, like absolutely collapsed, and the price of oil. I don't know enough to know what the price of oil and natural gas are going to do like over the next year or five years. So... If the company's revenue and cash flow is is heavily reliant on what the price of these commodities are going to do, then I'm immediately hesitant. 
how far back did the history of this company go, Daniel? I just pulled up a graph of natural gas prices over time, and it looked like it spiked from 2006 to 2008, as well as a spike at the beginning of 2022, which does seem to 100% match up with the revenue spikes here. Yeah, like, so what what's interesting, though, is the operating cash flow hasn't been as volatile as the revenue. Like, it's actually been pretty consistent besides that one free quarter here. So that's actually quite interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, what are they doing with their cash flow? So this is another thing I do. I always want to understand what what is the company doing with its cash flow. So if we zoom in, we're going to zoom in massively. Oh, let's go. Let's go. You can see 38 million came in. 1 million was stock-based compensation. Very good. So only a very little amount. Not really much to worry about there. So then the CapEx. So 38 million came in. Um, 6 million was used for CapEx. So they have... 32 million left and the, my question is always what are they doing with that extra cash well it looks like they paid a dividend of 5.8 million bought back 7 million of shares so that's another 12 million which they had something here other investing activities don't know what that was but that's where the rest of the cash went um but it looks decent it really looks decent so with businesses like this, Daniel, where their revenues seem to be very tied to the price of a commodity, is that something that closes the door for you as an investor? Or do you own any stocks that have direct ties to commodities like that? I do know at one point we both owned gold mining stocks as a bit of an inflation hedge. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. It's a pretty big deterrent, I will admit. Like, it just doesn't make me comfortable. And one thing I try to prioritize in my personal portfolio is just being comfortable because if I'm not comfortable, then if things like, if I'm not comfortable with this position and then the stock goes down 30%, I'm probably going to make an emotional decision and just sell it because I'm uncomfortable. So I have to be comfortable with every position I own. And yeah, stocks like this, for me personally, I'm not comfortable with them most of the time. But I mean, this thing's growing its cash. Its cash is now sitting at $49 million. And what's the market cap? So it's a $120 million market cap company. So the cash is almost, a, it's more than a third. No, it's about a third. Is it? No, it's more than a third. Wow. Yeah. So Dude, this definitely checks the value box. I mean, I, I would never make an investment decision from these streams. We do not talk about, we are not financial advisors. This is not financial advice. Please don't invest based off this. Yes, take a drink for that. But my like value alarms are going off. I know you like to swing a little bit when you see something that's an extreme value play. And when I see companies that are growing, have cash, aren't going under, and have a free cash flow yield of 26%, yes, this is kind of tied to a commodity. But am I silly for thinking that this seems a bit underpriced? I guess the other thing I'd want to do is look at other natural gas companies and see if this is normal for the industry. That just seems like an incredibly low value for the fundamentals of the business. Yeah. I mean, if everything stays consistent, then yeah, it looks very, very, very cheap. That's what I'll say. But uh, then the question is, are things going to remain the same? And that's where I'm, I have no idea. Yeah. This might be a good place to uh, end this one. We are getting a ton of comments here. I don't know how high up you are in the comments, Daniel, but you might want to go to real time. Lots of stocks, lots of comments on what we are discussing here. Thank you all for the interactions. 
Andy says, you're from Calgary. You should support Canadian oil producers. I do. That doesn't mean I have to invest in them, though. You're, cu you're a customer, correct? I'm a customer, and I love Canadian energy. I think the world needs to wake up and, you know, buy Canadian energy. It's, the clean it's some of the cleanest energy production on the planet. So, buy our stuff. You're actually saving the planet by buying our oil over, <laughs> over like, Chinese oil, so... You should buy it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we, we have some we have some edgy comments here. Uh if war stops, uh would oil and gas if war stops, would oil and gas prices plummet more? That's above my pay grade, but I don't know. Yeah, there seems to be no a idea. Lot of political intermingling with this stuff. One thing that I love is just the concept of becoming energy dependent and creating more fruitful energy sources, but don't want to totally re-kick that can. It will. It is going to be cool to see 5, 10, 20 years down the line what energy distribution and production looks like, whether that be newer technologies that come out or what have you. Right now, there's a lot of interdependence of different nations of where you like get your energy, and I feel like it just causes a lot of issues that are above our pay grade to analyze. But. Yeah, and like, full disclosure, I don't know anything about oil prices like i am probably almost as green as it gets but i think there's a group of people or countries called opec and they kind of set the demand and how much supply they're going to bring in and that influences prices as well so if opec is like hey this year we're going to produce less oil then they're going to artificially boost oil prices and like how do you predict that how do you know what they're going to do i don't know like there's just too many factors here i just don't get it I will pile on top of this. One thing Daniel and I want to make clear to all the viewers here, like we love talking about stocks, but it's because we look at stocks all day. So for example, here's a question. Can you talk about the bond market? No. <laughs> like we, we could, but we don't have anything insightful to share. Uh, my point being here that we're not going to talk about things that we don't know about. So we're very open to be forthcoming. Yeah, I'm very hesitant to make or to have opinions on things that I don't know a lot about. So then I just defer to, like, I don't know enough to have a strong opinion. Also, regarding the bond market, one interesting quote from Warren Buffett was, or it might have been Charlie Munger, I, don't, I forget, but they were like, interest rates and bonds are totally unpredictable. Like, if you think that stock prices are unpredictable, take that one level more, and that's bonds, and that's interest rates. Like, no one knows what's going to happen, and they don't know what's going to happen. They spend zero time trying to predict the bond market or interest rates. Yeah. And yet you have I, had funds and trading firms betting hundreds of millions and not billions of dollars trying to predict future interest rates, Yeah, all that kind of stuff. All I know, which is also what Warren Buffett has said, is that historically when interest rates are high, it tends to be a great time to buy stocks. Because when interest rates go up and bond yields go up, theoretically the price of stocks should go down. Um, which is actually not what we're currently seeing, which is weird. But So that being said, we do have this metric in stock unlock, just one quick one. We do have the 10-year bond year, year yield, and we do use that metric to calculate just mathematical margins of safeties on stocks. We had a lot of those requests from investors. So if you do like looking at the bond yield, you can throw that up in the freeform tool and also look at free cash flow yields and things like that to kind of gauge what the relationship is between 
cash flow yields on a market security versus the bond yield. And you will see some correlations there over time, which is what Daniel, I believe you're highlighting from the Warren Buffett report. Oh, this stock. This Isn't uh, this one of the meme stocks? Like, I think... No. Are you sure? Yeah, that was uh, Carvana. This is a new one. I haven't heard of this one. Mullen... I think it's a... Okay, well, I haven't heard of it anyways. Mullen Automotive. So this stock was worth $328. It's now worth $0.22. Cents. It's down 99.95%, so a total loss, basically. Um, we, the, we got the question, is this company going bankrupt? So I will just take a quick look at our insights here. It's lost $200 million in the past year, and it has a cash runway of three months. And its profitability is... Is this company even alive still? I mean, its revenue apparently is totally gone. This is one of those stocks where I saw lots of news headlines that the executive management was like diluting the living hell out of shareholders and just one of those things where it just milked value. I'm yeah, seeing zero dollars in revenue. Yeah, so take a look at this. Three months of cash left um, and the shares have increased by 60% over the past year. So massive dilution and it has no profits. So... Is this company going bankrupt? Based on what I'm seeing here, I would say there's probably a very high chance. I mean, if you're losing $200 million and you got three months of cash left, it's not a it's not a good place to be. So I don't know. Yeah, I, it looks share, like it's heavy that way. The shares outstanding are growing between 60 and 50 with a high of 125% looking at TTM values. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, I I think this was part of the um, EV car hype and everything when like Rivian and Neo and all those stocks were coming out and people, you know, were like doubling their money in a day. And I think that I got a little bump from that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure the executive team completely destroyed shareholder value at the expense of investors. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, okay, next stock, CRBG. Orbridge Financial, $11.5 billion market cap. Um, I imagine this is a financial company. For some reason, this is not. Oh, there we go. Engages in the provision of retirement solutions and insurance products. Company is headquartered in Texas. Big company. Um, has five segments, individual retirement, group retirement, life insurance, institutional markets, and corporate and other. So it looks like they're some sort of insurance provider. Looks like the company has been growing its revenues over time. So this is interesting. It's got a price to earnings ratio of 2.7 and a dividend of 5.2, which means that it has an earnings yield of 37%. That is, that is interesting. Let's go and take a look at the insider data. Sorry, my internet is slow whenever I stream. Classic. Classic. All right, let's take a look at financials. Maybe this will load for us. I'll try to get it up in my tab too. Okay. Um, so revenue spiked. What is happening here? Oh, yeah, they IPO'd. Okay. Honestly, this is confusing me. I don't know if I can do a good analysis on this live. <laughs> I'm kind of confused. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think I can really. It looks like it's just a recent IPO. Our data looks like it's not really loading for me right now. Um, what I will say is a price earnings ratio of 2.72 tells me that the market is basically expecting this company's earnings to drop in the future. Do we have analyst data? I also have the entire transactions up. My internet's moving pretty quick if you want me to share. Yeah, you do it. Cool. This is how you know it's a real live show. I think someone asked us once if we were like AI-generated people, and I'm like, whoever created that AI, you should give them all your money because that would be a pretty damn good AI. Now, we are live making mistakes. Anyways, this is the insider transactions, Daniel. I'm seeing some grants uh, given to people that likely work there. But honestly, a lot of selling from the CEO, CMO, CFO, uh, selling like meaningful chunks of their shares. So it just looks like people are getting granted shares. They're immediately selling them. I'm not too sure who the American International Group is, but they also have been selling very, very large amounts of shares on the public market. So I'd want to understand why that is. Yeah, it looks like American International Group owns 77% and they are trimming down. Of course, Blackstone is in here. Yeah, I would just want to know what the future of this company is. And the only way to really learn about that would be to go read its SEC filings because again, you know, PE of under three, that's a 38% earnings yield. And like, that probably suggests that the market is saying earnings are going to come down in the future because a 30% earnings yield is insane. It's very, very high. Yeah, could be some good uh, homework for this yeah. game. It looks like they declared a special dividend of 62 cents a share. Uh, this is from their press releases coming back to June 1st. On June 22nd, they announced a 200 million share repurchase from AIG and Blackstone, which is interesting. So yeah, Daniel, I'm with you on this one. There is a lot of confusing signals here, and it looks like the data is still pretty fresh. So yeah, could be an opportunity, but a lot more to figure out with this one. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just going to move on to the next one. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, some things are just too hard. Put it in the too hard bucket for now. All right, let's take a look at Carnival Cruise. This one should be interesting because I haven't looked at the stock in a while. But I remember, that, like, there was there was news coming out a while ago that like this company might go bankrupt when uh, COVID was going on because no one was going on cruise ships, right? I mean, the stock got all the way down to like six dollars. It looks like it's up. 160% from the 185% from those lows now. So it looks like it's coming back. So let's take a look at what's going on. Still has negative free cash flow. Um, has a good cash runway though of about two years. Shares have increased, so they're diluting. And debt to EBITDA is very bad. 26. A lot of debt. But if you take a look at the growth, it looks like the revenue is coming back, profits are coming back. Well, they're getting there, it looks like. Gross margin. Yeah, so it's not quite profitable yet, but things do look like they're coming back. Um, Let's see. Management. It's unprofitable, so you're not going to see good management scores there for now. Let's see how far away they are from profitability. So, yeah, take a look at this. Oh, you love watching the COVID death companies. Yeah. So their revenue was growing, you know, everything's going great for the company all the way up until the first quarter of 2020, right here in February. And then COVID comes and their revenue goes from $21 billion down to a low of $140 million. 
that is a wild, wild drop. And then you can see now it's back up to about 17.5 billion. So not quite fully recovered, at least in the trailing 12 months, not quite fully recovered. But it is getting back up there. No, there. That kind of looks in line. That last report. Yeah, the last report looks in line. It looks like they have a strong third quarter, and they haven't reported that yet. But yeah, things do look like they're pretty much uh, back to normal. So I'm actually going to keep this on a quarterly view then, and uh, let's go take a look at their cash flow for the most recent quarter. So yeah, you can see their cash flow is coming back. In the last quarter, they actually did produce positive operating cash flow. So I'm laughing because uh, Ryan Headley, Headley put a comment, boomers, man, dot, dot, dot. They love their cruises. I I know a lot of people that love cruises, but I do think that that is a brand with these. One one comment I was actually going to make if we're talking about their business as a whole, we all know people were kept up with COVID, a lot of pent up feelings, go out, spend the money, spend the stimmy checks, all that stuff. So I think that there are some narratives going around of how strong is the consumer right now, especially as it seems like bank balances are going down uh credit and debt indebtedness are going up is there going to be the same amount of like available spend for people to continue to buy these cruises so while they are bouncing back will they soar and grow like the phoenix or just kind of bounce around from here that's uh yeah another yeah another thing to note is during you know when this company was not producing any money during covid you can see that it was taking on massive amounts of debt. In the first or second quarter of 2020, it took on $8 billion of debt, then $4 billion in the next quarter, then two point five in the next quarter, then another $4 billion. Like, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of debt. And then on top of that, they were also diluting. So right here in the third quarter or fourth quarter of 2020, $2.5 billion of dilution, then another billion, then another $1.1 billion. So... Even if the cash flow gets back to what it was historically, this I would argue this is not the same fundamentals. I just want to jump in real quick. The the dividend, uh, sorry, the debt thing you had up before was debt repayments, or were you saying that was the amount of debt they were taking out? Debt repayments on stock unlock. If it's positive, it means they're taking on debt. If it's negative, it means they're paying it back. I should know that. I wrote the code for it. You should. <laughs> All right. So take a look at this. This is what I mean, though. The company's fundamentals have changed. So before COVID, you know, they had $10 billion of long-term debt. Now they have $32 billion. So their long-term debt has more than 3 x and it's still there. So even, again, even if they get their cash flow back, they still have this to deal with. It looks like some banks are going to own some cruise ship assets in a couple of years. Yeah, and then you also remember they diluted as well. So now their shares outstanding is up. Their shares outstanding doubled. So yeah, this is not the same company. Like it's debt ridden now. It's got double the shares. So I I am highly, highly, highly skeptical that it's going to get back up to a $68 share price anytime soon. I seriously doubt that. Especially with rising interest rates. That's gonna be that's gonna be tough. Yeah, that 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 scary to me especially when it's very unclear like to me like how does this business grow right are they going to like continue to make and invest in more cruise ships like especially as people seem to get all their traveling funk out of them and i'm seeing less and less people of our generation and our age demographics which we'll coin that like 20 to 40 going on cruises i'm seeing a few comments here of you know cruises are too expensive for me so i just have a real question about 
this business model. Like, I don't think it's going away, but you know, we're investors that like to invest in growth and returns. We have 30 billion in debt. Seem kind of saddled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have comments here, $30 billion in debt. What is the market cap? Market cap's 24 billion. <laughs> so yo, <laughs> more debt than the market cap by far too. And it's not, and it's cash flow is like not really back yet. So yeah, I don't know. I would stay it, away. It's no for me, dog. Yeah. Mickwell, yikes. <laughs> Same. Big yikes. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. a nice comment here. The dividend investor and a CPA. Great to meet you. We love dividends as well. Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you. We'll do our best. Okay. This is interesting. How about a insider selling score or metric in the insights score page? I think we can actually do this. I responded and said that we're working on it. I yeah. remember we had some stats. We won't bore you guys. There are some technicalities with with the granularity and types of data we get from our current providers. So in order for us to deliver the highest value insight segment there, where there are a couple more backend things, more like the contract level between us and other data providers that we just wanted to button up, those things do take some time. So on the roadmap, but have not gotten to it yet. Okay, we have a comment here about CPX. This is a Canadian electric utility provider, but also has assets in the US. So I actually have been seeing a few questions about this one because it's down, and full disclosure, I own this stock. It's down 21% from its all-time highs. And over the past, what is this now, two months, it's down roughly 12%. It's got a very nice dividend on it, nearly 6% now. And as the stock falls, the dividend goes up. Um, now, are you buying this as it's coming down or is this a hold for you? I have not bought any more. Okay. So you're like kind of even on your shares? Yeah. I like my position currently. So, and I like the company. I do like the company, but uh, I just, I'm happy with my position. So I'm not going to add to it. Anyways, what are my thoughts on this right now? Well, one thing I do to track electricity prices because this company, does it's a, and it's an electricity utility provider so with electricity price fluctuations it sees fluctuations in its revenue and uh, cash flow so one thing i do this is alberta's electricity prices i guess i should also say this company is like alberta's number one electricity provider so it's pretty heavily exposed and that's re that's a regulated industry in canada right because that's how it works here in the states i'm not confident on an answer there Fair enough. Okay. Anyways, this is the rates of electricity. This is the price of electricity in Alberta. You can see year over year, it's up about 50 to 60%. So in this environment right now, CPX is probably printing cash. So no, I'm not worried about this stock. I actually think they're going to have a great Q... What would this be? Q3 we're in now? They're going to report Q2 in about a month, but right now in q3 with these electricity prices they're going to be producing a lot of money so i don't know why the stock is down i don't get it probably just the market doing its thing but uh, i think the fundamentals of this business should be should be just fine personally and uh andy zero one n here is pointing out cpx at 52 week low so yeah that's interesting heading into earnings i guess we'll see how that works yeah we'll see definitely definitely we'll see 
So I feel like we might have done this stock maybe like several streams ago, but T we have TDoc in here from KRK. I think our opinion on this one was like we weren't crazy about it. You think it's worth doing a quick analysis or have we beaten this one with a stick? Because I know it was a high flyer during COVID. It was Kathy Woodstock. I worked at Oscar Health, which is a health insurance company. So I actually was like pretty aware of what this company were, was doing and where they sat in the space. And like my take on it when it was soaring to new highs about a year ago was, I don't think this company has a big moat. I think the healthcare industry is complicated. And like from what I've seen working on the insides of a health insurance company specifically, it was really hard for me to see TDoc filling into this valuation. And it is challenging for me since I do love their mission. I think there are good parts about this business and it doesn't seem like it is going away. Uh, I haven't checked on it for a while though. So it's unclear to me if it kept on falling down in price or if it kind of got to a more realistic price point. But I bucketed this with Shopify and other companies that like seemed decent. But when you looked at their valuation on the stock market, my eyes just absolutely popped out. Yeah, so one of the, one of the reasons why I was getting asked about the stock, like on my personal YouTube channel, I got asked about T got, sorry, T doc a lot. Um, and it was because the <laughs> talking is hard. It's because the price to book ratio got down to 0 0.5. So the stock was selling below book value. And then, you know, value investors are like, well, if it's selling below book value, then isn't that a good deal? But the book value metric can be very, very misleading. So if we go and take a look at TDoc here, the reason its book value was so high was because it did a very large acquisition and the goodwill went up to about $15 billion. And goodwill is reported as an asset on the balance sheet, which means it goes towards book value, which means it boosts book value massively. And then if the acquisition that TDoc did is not actually worth the price it paid in terms of the goodwill on the balance sheet. So basically, like after a year, this internal thing happens and they're like, was it worth it or is, is our goodwill actually worth this much? Most likely it wasn't. So what happens then is the company has Yeah. So what happens then is the company has to write down that goodwill as a loss against net income to get it off the balance sheet. So that's why you see the goodwill absolutely collapse now down to a billion, which means that the book value also dropped by about fourteen billion dollars. And if we go to the book value right here. You can see it spiked up to about 16 billion and then it topped out at 16 billion and now it's back down to 2.3 billion. So the book value has collapsed by $14 billion essentially because of the goodwill write-offs. So yes, it was selling below book value here, but the reason it was was because it had these assets on the balance sheet that were literally worth nothing. Yeah. So what I would do is instead I would look at the tangible book value which takes out the goodwill and the intangible assets. And you can see here that, where was that? Um, the book value for TDoc was, like, it's literally right there, right there. Okay. Fourth year. Can you make this site, bro? Like, yeah, I know. Like I didn't design it or something. <laughs> so let's go the fourth quarter of 2021. The book value was 16 billion, as we saw. But the tangible book value at that same time was negative 370 million. So when you take out the goodwill and the intangible assets, this business actually had more liabilities than real tangible assets, which is not good. It basically had more liabilities than assets. Um, so this is the metric I would look at personally. 
this is the one I would focus on because taking a look at book value can seriously mislead you in these situations. I mean, if you're buying the stock below book value now, like, you know, it, I, in my opinion, it really wasn't a good deal. Yeah, I also just looked at the free cash flow yield again on this business, I believe. Yeah, do you mind going to max view? So this is definitely one of those stocks where like boom during COVID and there were so many people talking about it and buying it. Kathy Wood was also buying this stock up there. And the point you and I were making, which is what we're not telling investors to follow us. We're not advisors, right? But it's like we're at least going to like profusely scream our like opinions that we believe like track more to returns than like what a lot of the other media is doing. The price to free cash flow of this business and what it was trading to relative to its fundamental performance was stupid. Like people were pricing this stock to literal perfection and the stock has crashed, but I still think it's expensive. I think it was, it's trading at what, like an 80 price to free cash flow right now? Yeah. Like I, it, it's just very frustrating to me to like spend so much time with you, like trying to focus on fundamentals and yet you have people that don't understand how stocks are valued kind of like chirping all over the internet and like maybe it's bots that are pumping stock prices right like i don't know but i'm like to me it's call me a jerk i just don't think it's that challenging here to like look at these companies and as an investor say there's tens of thousands of other stocks out there like why would i buy the stock that everyone's talking about that is priced to perfection and unfortunately what i said because a lot of people lost money and it makes me sad is like that played out not the, the stock crater but i still think it's expensive yeah, I would agree. I still think it's expensive too. And you also have to ask yourself, like, think about this. The management of this business did probably somewhere around an $18 billion acquisition, right? So they spent $18 billion on buying a business. If you take a look at the company's performance since that $18 billion acquisition, I'm not, I'm not talking about the stock. I'm talking about the actual like revenue. They bought it, I think in the fourth quarter. So revenue is up 150% okay since that acquisition but if you take a look at cash flow operating cash flow went from about 80 million dollars to about 234 million so at 3x but 234 million dollars in a cash flow on a combined basis and they paid about probably 18 billion for that like they overpaid for that acquisition massively like absolutely massively. Yeah. My whole thing here has been lack of moat. Like even us being involved in the startup space, like we see even on the lower levels of startups, tons of healthcare things come up. There's so many issues with our defragmented healthcare system in the US that are real. It's easy to quantify in an investment thesis. And then you say, I would be able to solve this problem. I think the issue is both on a legality and execution front. One, there are lots of laws around healthcare, what you can and can't do, how you can handle patient data that ends up being exorbitantly expensive, both at an engineering level to implement product, which I've seen firsthand uh, being an engineer at Oscar Health, as well as like it just being difficult to give value to customers. And then on top of that, the double whammy is there are so many huge players in this space. We should we don't really look at public health insurance companies a lot, but they are huge, like United. I'm blanking out if Humana is actually public, but you know. In the US, there's these huge healthcare players. They're the ones with the sway. They're the ones with the money. They're the ones with the cash flows. They have the subscription revenue coming in. And typically when you have these like plug and socket companies coming in that try to get you to talk to a doctor faster, things like that, you're still throttled with needing to deal with these insurance companies. And if you try to skirt them, they will usually just in-house things and kind of outmaneuver you with their cash flow and building over time. So I think TDOC has its worth cut out for it. It's 
a really challenging stock to me. Like I'm rooting for it because I think we need more companies that are forcing good on the healthcare industry. But from my cynicism and pessimism on it from working in that field, it is very hard for me as an investor to like see their story here as to how they're going to grow into this massive, huge healthcare. Yep, I agree. We do have a lot of comments here in the stream. Not sure. Uh, we want to take a couple more here. A couple of people being very polite. We do our best to get to as many comments as we can. It is just logistically impossible to. So if we are not hitting your stock, our, we do apologize. But we do this every week. So. Um, sorry. I. Always. Oh, I'd like to share my screen and then I have to come back to this to the stream and read like yeah, yeah, I'll, 50 plus comments. So I Jake there's an interesting here one here from Financial Forecaster on a what was it? A Canadian trucking company, TFII. That sounded interesting. We're seeing some comments for AAP I haven't heard of. Uh, a few of these are some repeats, so we do talk about True North Real Estate a decent amount. I think we've looked at Pool Corp before in a past stream. One of our dream projects is we uh, do pay to get these streams clipped up and then named properly, but it does take work to label them and actually like upload individual videos. But I would love to have a searchable catalog of all the stocks we talked about, but that is okay. still a dream. I'll look at TFII quick. Um, so this is a road and rail company. I think they said this was a trucking company. Yeah, someone said it's a good growing dividend and something for every yeah. Canadian to consider in their portfolio. So trucking company, um, since the bottom here, it's up over well, almost 500% from the COVID lows. From pre-COVID, it's up about 200%. So quite a bit. Um, insight score is decent. But one thing I noticed was if you take a look at their quarterly revenue, it has started to come down. So it looks like they had a big spike when there was that, there was like a shipping backlog during COVID and they probably made a lot of money, but now that backlog is kind of going away, I guess. And the revenue, it looks like it's coming down with it. So let me take a look at cash flow. Is cash flow coming down too? Not really. It actually looks like it's kind of, in the trailing 12 months, it's actually at an all time high. That's very yeah. interesting. It looks like historically, too, the business does have some cycles. So the operating cash flow and revenue seem to have downtrended in the past, but that didn't mean that didn't hit a new high over time. Yeah, so it's definitely been kind of cyclical. Like, yeah, goes up, goes down, it goes up, goes down, it goes up. Now it's at an all-time high. And it looks like they were buying back a lot of shares. Uh, let's go here. Shares outstanding. The shares outstanding have been going down. What is its price, though? Price to free cash flow, 13, 7% free cash flow yield. I don't know. I, I'm not super thrilled about it just because it seems like the business, at least, is kind of declining right now. And if that's the case, then my wonder or worry is just, is this free cash flow yield going to remain or is it going to go down to five percent four percent three percent and if it does then it's not really that cheap right now and i just don't know enough 
like I could be totally wrong. It's just I literally just don't know enough. But that's the question I would ask. That's kind of my opinion. I, I, I'm just not. I don't feel excited about this one. Maybe it's worth looking into more, but yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. It, the trucking industry is interesting. It's not one that I think about a lot, but one thing I like about it is it's easy to understand. Like I love my businesses where I can explain it to a five-year-old and I can do that. And I was also thinking too, it does seem that eventually self-driving car technology will be here. Also it being easier to have like fleets of trucks following each other with like a lead driver. So it's unclear to me how that is going to affect the cash flows of truck driving businesses. Like I could actually see it increasing them. They don't deal with the liability and safety of drivers. Trucks can also drive 24-7 as long as the engine works since, you know, computer systems don't go to sleep. That could also potentially increase their profit margins if they're able to keep prices the same. That could be an interesting play over the next decade. I just don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. Financial Forecaster, thank you for that question. We also appreciate uh, the politeness. Uh, you did get lucky this stream. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, do you see any more here? You said that we are at an hour. Oh, which is typically when we start to wind down. Yeah, I think uh, I think I got to go back to work. I got a, got a lot to do today still. Same, same. Uh, I have definitely been out normally. I'm behind the computer, but had a lot of fun meetings today. I won't give too much information about it, but obviously we are the two co-founders of Stock Unlocked. Uh, had an in-person meeting with uh, NASDAQ folks today, so no news there, but just know we are always working very hard around the clock to grow this business. We really appreciate everyone in the chat comes and supports us every week, as well as people who are telling their friends about Stock Unlocked. We would not be here if it wasn't for you guys. That's how you, you already got that meeting with NASDAQ too, hey? Someone, someone told them about us? Yeah, so NASDAQ said they look at all Y Combinator companies. Y Combinator is an accelerator, which takes in startups and gives them funding. So uh, we were fortunate enough to get an opportunity to be funded by Y Combinator, which was a huge deal for us. Yeah, dude, NASDAQ said that they looked at all the financial data companies we came up, but all the companies are so young. So when they first saw us, they kind of just took a note. But they were like, you know, th this is stock unlock, right? It's like a small little app. There's like a couple hundred people using it. Flash forward to a year and a half later, we're sold and have subscribers in over 45 countries globally. Uh, we are very proud and humbled to say that we have thousands of pay paying customers with us, which is incredible. Uh, believe it or not, we... <laughs> Still have a lot of work cut out for us in terms of getting to profitability and being able to grow and scale. But this person at the NASDAQ said that they were at a party and someone just randomly started talking to them. And they're like, hey, NASDAQ, you guys do a lot of financial data, but I use Stock Unlock and this site is absolutely amazing. And they just randomly started talking to someone about it. And that triggered the NASDAQ's memory that they had seen us at one point in time. So it's kind of great to see. I've seen us come up in a few Reddit threads too, where people were asking like, hey, What's your number one investing tool? People are starting to drop stock unlock. So yeah, let us know what you guys think in the chat. Uh, any feedback on the streams? If you like or don't like topics we talk about, lingering on things for too long, not enough, different topic areas. Give us some feedback, drop a comment, leave a like if you're enjoying the stream. Let us know that you're here. You know, it is a lot of us speaking digitally to each other through video, but we know you're out there for everyone who is in the chat. Thank you so, so much. Daniel, any last words from you here? Uh, you're going to be at my house next week. Oh, my God, dude. Is the next stream going to be an in-Canada, in-person stream? Yeah, it will be. Also, we have a question here from Andrew saying, are you going to the Stampede? Yes, we are. 
we will be going to the stampede. I'm going to stomp so, so much. Is that what you do at the stampede? Sure. <laughs> Amazing. And still waiting for you to plan that uh, Calgary meetup. If there's any Canadians that are also on Stock and Lock, we want to see you guys. We don't know how it'll turn out, but we're nice people. If you're going to be around, start sending us messages, put pressure on Daniel in our Discord for him to plan this event. I know I will be. Well, what could go wrong, dude? Yeah, what could go wrong? Okay. Um. All right. I think that is good. Thank you, yeah. everyone. This has been episode 38. See you all next time. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Sorry, I have Tuna on my lap, and he's been shedding, so it's why I was a little bit zoned out at the end there. Just jumped up. There's his tail. All right. See you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, next stream, Jake will be here. Let's go. As Let's we like go. to say here, it was not luck. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone. See you next week. All right, I'm going to hit the button.